All right, if you have a Bible, please take it out and open it up to Romans chapter 12. We're going to take a little break from the book of Ezra just for today, and then we'll be into the book of Nehemiah starting next week, which continues the story of Ezra. So Romans chapter 12, if you're using the Bible in the seat back in front of you, you'll find that on page 803. The problem with spiritual gifts, which is what we're going to be looking at today, the problem with them is that they can wreck your church. In fact, if spiritual gifts couldn't wreck your church, I don't think there would be much written about spiritual gifts in the Bible. Because, you see, the only places in the New Testament that tell us about spiritual gifts are the letters of Paul to various churches, as well as one place in the Apostle Peter's first letter. And a major reason that these apostles even mention spiritual gifts in their letters is because those gifts were in danger of wrecking the churches that the apostles were writing to. But let me back up for a second. What is a spiritual gift? Well, spiritual gifts are abilities that God's Spirit gives to every Christian. Uh, and just like God has given every human being natural talents and abilities to, uh, to be good at some things more than others, so also when people come to follow Jesus Christ, God celebrates by giving them additional gifts, additional abilities. And we'll talk more later about why God gives these gifts and what they're for. But for now, notice their gifts. You don't earn them, and you can't take credit for them. In fact, the root word um, in Greek for these gifts is, is charism, which comes from the same root as charis, which is the Greek word for grace. So these are tangible expressions of God's grace. A spiritual gift is a free gift from God. It's, it's a very concrete expression of God's grace to us. Which makes it all the more troubling that spiritual gifts can wreck churches. Why do spiritual gifts wreck churches? Well, because spiritual gifts make us different from each other, just like natural gifts and talents do. They give me the ability to do one thing well, and you the ability to do another thing well. And these differences can cause tensions and conflicts, jealousy and suspicion, misunderstanding, judgmental attitudes, anger and bitterness, all of which can wreck a church. You may have heard um, Bruce Bugby's little story which illustrates um, this uh, about uh, the stories about um, the school for animals. And um, he tells the story. He says, it wasn't long after creation that the animals got together to form a school. They wanted the best school possible and one that offered each student a well-rounded curriculum of swimming, running, climbing, and flying. In order to graduate, the animals agreed that they would have to take all the courses. The duck was an excellent swimmer. In fact, he was better than his instructor, but he was only making passing grades at climbing and was getting a very poor grade in running. The duck was so slow in running that he had to stay after school every day to practice. Even with that, there was little improvement. His webbed feet got badly worn from running, and with such worn feet, he was then only able to get half his grade in swimming. Now, average was quite acceptable to everyone else, so no one worried much about it except the duck. 
Now the rabbit was at the top of her class in running, but after a while she developed a twitch in her leg from all the time she spent in the water trying to improve her swimming. The squirrel was a peak performer in climbing, but after a while she, uh, or rather, she was constantly frustrated in flying class. Her, her body became so bruised from all the hard landings that she didn't do too well in climbing and ended up being pretty poor in running. The eagle was a continual problem student. He was severely disciplined for being nonconformist. For, for example, in climbing class, he would always beat everyone else to the top of the tree, but insisted on his own way of getting there. Each of the animals had a particular area of expertise. When they did what they were designed to do, they excelled. When they tried to operate outside their area of expertise, they were not nearly as effective. Can ducks run? Of course they can. Is that what they do best? Definitely not. That story begins to give us an inkling of why spiritual gifts have the potential to wreck a church. Because they make us good at different things. They also make us diverse in other ways. They give us different passions and they give us different perspectives. Someone with an evangelistic gift thinks we need to be doing more to get out there and reach out. Meanwhile, someone with a, a compassion gift thinks we need to do a better job of caring for those we've already got. Gifts make us diverse, and almost any kind of diversity can be problematic. You might remember Depeche Mode's song when they sang about this back in the 1980s. People are people, so why should it be that you and I, we get along so awfully? So we're different colors, and we're different creeds, and different people have different needs. Diversity makes it hard for us to get along. But it's more than just having different abilities and, and diverse passions and perspectives which can cause us problems. It's also the way we tend to elevate certain abilities over others. In the broader culture, what talents do we elevate? Well, we, we elevate being a great athlete. We elevate being a, a doctor or a famous movie star. And in the church, we may be tempted to elevate certain spiritual gifts, too. In fact, that's likely what's happening in the Church of Rome, which Paul was writing to in our passage this morning, when Paul says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. If you turn over and you read about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians, you see this even more clearly there in chapters 14 or 12 to 14. There in the Church of Corinth, those who, who had the gift of speaking in tongues thought they were better than their fellow believers who did not have that gift. They were looking down on the others to the point that there were hurt feelings, there were factions, there were arguments, and there were disunity. And so that's the situation that, that Paul's addressing that prompts him to write what turns out to be the longest and most famous treatment of spiritual gifts in the Bible. So spiritual gifts are problematic. They make us different, they make us diverse, and they attempt us to elevate ourselves over, over others or to elevate someone else over us. And so what are we to do about it? Well, in our passage this morning, Paul addresses this question. And he begins with a sense of urgency. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. 
hear the urgency? Paul begins by urging us to lay it all on the line, to give everything to God. Then in verse 2, he says this will involve thinking in a new way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What Paul is saying is this, the world thinks one way, but you, if you follow Jesus Christ, are to think another way. If you're going to offer your life to God, you are going to have to think about your life in a different way. Then in verse 3, and in the original biblical text, there's no section break like a lot of us have in our English Bibles. Those were added later. There's no section break between verse 2 and verse 3. So we move right on to verse 3 where we begin to see Paul showing us what this new thinking that verse 2 talks about, what it involves. And it involves how we think about ourselves in relationship to other people. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. What does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Well, one thing it means is that you don't have an overinflated view of yourself, but rather you have an accurate, even-handed self-appraisal. And then Paul elaborates on this by talking about spiritual gifts. He points out that because of the gifts God has given us, we are all diverse. In verse 4, he compares us to a body. He says your body has, has many parts. The eye does one thing, the, the hand another, the leg another, but one isn't better than another. Each is necessary in its own way. And, and so Paul says, think the, the same way about yourself as part of the body of Christ. God has given each of us spiritual gifts. One person can, can teach God's word in a way that helps uh, people to grow spiritually. A second person has a knack for seeing what needs to be done and for stepping in and just doing it. A, a third person is good at getting things organized, for, for stepping into the chaos and, and um, getting everything to run smoothly. And each of these abilities is, is a gift from God. Each is necessary. It takes all of them for the body to function effectively. And so Paul says, if your mind is being renewed by Jesus, if you're learning to think clearly, then that will affect the way you think about yourself in relation to other people. It will affect the way you think about the spiritual gifts that God has given you. You won't be puffed up or, or proud of your gift. You won't be looking down on others. Because if you think that way, before long you'll be wrecking the church. No, to think clearly is to realize that you're part of a bigger puzzle, that, that the gift you have isn't something you earned, you got it as a gift. And it wasn't given to you to make you better than anyone else, but rather it was to give you a place to belong in the body. It was to give you a role to play, a, a function to perform, a way to contribute. And so here's the thing. The world thinks me, but the mind that Jesus has renewed thinks we. The, the world thinks independence and personal success. The mind Jesus renewed is learning to think interdependence and teamwork. We, not me. Teamwork, not personal success. That's how we make sure 
that spiritual gifts don't wreck our church. Because God is the one putting together our church, fitting us together as a body, and so as God does that, God decides what gifts are needed to make the body function. And so God gives us each gifts that the larger body needs so that we can each contribute, so that we can each play the role that God has designed for us to play. And if we learn to think this way, then, then spiritual gifts don't need to wreck our church. They can strengthen and they can build it up instead. All right, so let's get practical. If all that's true, then, then how do I know what spiritual gifts God has given me? Well, there's a lot of materials out there about spiritual gifts um, that they talk about what each gift is and, and how to discover what gifts you had. And, and almost any of these materials can be useful and helpful. But let me qualify that because in their desire to be practical and, and helpful, a lot of these materials that are out there try to tell us more about spiritual gifts than the Bible really says. And so before I talk about what we do know about spiritual gifts, let me mention five things that we actually don't know about spiritual gifts. All right? The first thing is that we don't know how many spiritual gifts there are. Let me explain. The way I was taught as a young Christian how to learn about spiritual gifts was to get out a notebook and to get out my Bible and to look up the Bible passages that talk about spiritual gifts. And so, beginning in Romans 12, I'd, I'd write down the seven gifts that were listed there. Then I'd flip over to 1 Corinthians 12, and I'd find a few of those gifts repeated, and, and I'd find 13 new gifts as well. And so, I'd write those down, and, and, and to build my master list, I'd write all the, these gifts down, I'd cross out the duplicates, and I'd keep moving to the other texts in the Bible to get all of them down on a list. But, but now I realize that this is actually an unhelpful way to read the Bible. Why? Well, because it assumes that the Bible's an encyclopedia. And a poorly organized encyclopedia at that, because the information I need is spread all over the place. But the Bible isn't an encyclopedia. It's rather, in this case, a collection of letters, each of which is written to a, a specific church to address particular issues that that church is facing. And so in writing to those churches about spiritual gifts, Paul was listing the gifts which related to the problems in those churches. Or, or maybe he was just listing um, some of them because they were obvious examples that that church would relate to and understand. The point is, nowhere in the Bible do we get an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. The Romans may not have known about the gifts that Paul mentions to the Corinthians, and vice versa. Listen to what uh, commentator Douglas Moo says about this, commenting on the lists of gifts that we find in Paul's letters, some of which are repeated in various lists and some of which aren't repeated. He says, These texts suggest that Paul, and presumably the early church generally, recognized a small number of well-defined and widely occurring gifts, along with an indefinite number of other less-defined gifts, some of which may not have been manifest everywhere. The point is, that while there are some overlaps, the gifts we find in one church are different from the gifts we find in another. And this shouldn't surprise us because God is infinitely creative. Let's take a look uh, real quickly over at 1 Peter 4, verse 10. And if you um, have a spare finger, you can keep that finger 
in that passage because we're going to be coming back to it a couple times. In 1 Peter 4.10, Peter says that when we use our spiritual gifts, we are faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And the Greek word translated various here, in various forms, can also be translated variegated or manifold or multifaceted. And here's the picture that, that, that I have in my mind as to what this word means. The diversity of spiritual gifts in a church are, are like a diamond with lots of facets, multifaceted. And each of those refracts God's grace in a unique shape, a unique color. God is creative, and so he gives us gifts. He gives gifts to his people in a wide variety of ways. He gives a wide variety of abilities. And so we just don't even know how many spiritual gifts there are. That's the first thing we don't know. The second thing we don't know is exactly what some of the gifts mentioned in Scripture are. Just as an example, um, the gift of leadership mentioned in verse 8 of our passage in Romans 12. This word translated leadership here in our English Bibles is the Greek word proestemi, and it can mean to lead, it can mean to administer, or it can mean to take care of. Which is it? We, we just don't know for sure what this gift is that's mentioned here. This is true of several other gifts too, uh, like the gifts of word of wisdom and word of knowledge that we find in Romans, or 1 Corinthians 12. We just aren't sure what abilities Paul is describing when he mentions these gifts. Third thing we don't know. We don't know if God still gives all of the gifts that are mentioned in Scripture. The most famous example of this are the so-called sign gifts or, or power gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, like speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing, miracles. Here, by the way, is more evidence of my point that spiritual gifts can wreck your church. Because whole denominations have been formed and churches have split over disagreements as to whether these gifts still exist today. And sophisticated arguments have been developed on, on both sides to defend the view that they have ceased and to defend the view that they have not ceased. My own personal opinion is, is that I don't find any of the arguments convincing that claim to show that some of the gifts have ceased. Which leaves me concluding that the Bible hasn't told us whether these gifts have ceased or not. Which means I have to be ready and open for whatever God decides to do. Fourth, we do not know if God gives spiritual gifts for life. Once you have a gift, do you get to keep it for life? Or can you lose it if you don't use it? Or can God give you a temporary gift because he knows you need it for that moment in time, but it's not a permanent thing? The Bible doesn't seem to be clear about that either. And some point to 1 Corinthians 12.30, which mentions gifts of healing, gifts plural. And, and they suggest that if you pray for someone and that person is healed, that that's a specific gift of healing given for that moment, but that doesn't mean you can heal whoever you want anytime you want. But rather that gift, and probably others too, can, can come and go as God determines to, to meet the need of that moment. But that's just a guess based on the plural of one word. The truth is we don't know for sure if spiritual gifts are for life or not. 
Fifth, the final thing we don't know is what the relationship is between spiritual gifts and natural abilities. The Bible doesn't really address that. Are, are spiritual gifts something completely new and miraculous where one minute you don't have an ability there and, and then the next minute you do? Or are spiritual gifts related to natural abilities? Like maybe you already have a natural ability to teach, but, but now God sanctifies that and helps you to apply it to his purposes and it becomes a spiritual gift. Or could it be some of both? Sometimes they're related, sometimes they're not related, depending on what the gift is or who the person is. Again, we just don't know for sure how spiritual gifts are related to natural abilities. All right, so those are five things we don't know about spiritual gifts. And what's the point of going through what we don't know? Why mention them? Well, it, it's important that we don't try to overly systematize God's spirit or box him in. But rather, we need to learn to go with the flow. To be open to, to God's surprises. And, and to let God do what God wants to do. That kind of flexible attitude will help us to make sure that spiritual gifts don't wreck our church. All right, well, let's turn now to four things we do know about spiritual gifts. First, everyone has at least one spiritual gift. Some of us probably have more than one. And when Paul says that we're all parts of one body, he wasn't thinking of the appendix, okay? What Paul wants us to know is that like every part of the human body has some sort of place, some sort of role to play, some function, so everyone who's a part of the body of Christ has a gift, has a function, has a role to play. If all church is, is a few people like me and Rachel and our ushers and, and a few others who, who use our gifts to serve everyone else in the pews, then we're not a healthy body. In fact, we're, we're not even what the Bible means by a church. And we're, we're certainly not going to accomplish everything God has for us to do. No, a church is, is all hands on deck. A church is a team where everyone gets to play on the game. No one gets, gets stuck sitting on the bench the whole game. Everyone gets in. In fact, the, the, the team doesn't function without all the players contributing. Otherwise, we're, we're just like a car which is only firing on half of its cylinders and not getting very far very fast. CBC will never be the church that God is calling us to be. We'll never accomplish the exciting mission that God has given us unless we all get into the game and we all play our part and use the gifts God has given us for the good of the body. Which flows into the second thing we do know about spiritual gifts. And that is that spiritual gifts are for the sake of others. They're for the sake of others. Just like each part of the body exists, not for its own sake, but for the sake of the whole body, so the spiritual gifts we have are for the sake of the whole body of Christ. 1 Peter 4.10 again puts it this way. Each of you should use whichever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various multifaceted forms. You are a steward. You are a manager of the gifts that God has given you. And so am I. And so you and I are responsible to use them well, to, to help God's body grow and mature and, and to fulfill its purpose and its mission. 
And so when God gives me a gift, it isn't for my own benefit. So that I can feel important or successful or necessary. No, God has given me that gift for your sake. And God has given you a gift for my sake. We're designed to be interdependent. You have what I need. And I have what you need. And so we've got to work together. And together, we have what people out there need. Who God wants to add to his body as he builds it up. Again, it's, it's about we, not me. And, and it's not just about we, it's about they too. And so your gifts are given you to serve others both here within CBC and also out there at your workplace, at your school, in your family, in your neighborhood, as God leads you out into his mission in the world. So here's the third thing we do know about spiritual gifts. And that is that it's not hard to discover what your gifts are. It's not hard. How could it be hard? Why would God give us gifts which he delights to give us and, and which we desperately need and then why would God hide those gifts or make them hard for us to find out what they were? That, that would make no sense. So how do you find out what your gifts are? Well, it's easy. You, you find a group of other followers of Jesus and you start serving with them. You, you start helping, you start ministering, you start reaching out, you, you join the team, and you see what happens. You, you try something, you volunteer for something, you, you, you experiment, you do something, and you see what kind of response you get. Maybe you fall flat, or maybe it goes pretty well. And pretty soon you start to discover what your gifts are. And remember, you don't have to be able to find the gift that you have on a list of gifts that the Bible mentions. Maybe the gift God has given you isn't specifically mentioned in the Bible, so, so just do what God has made you good at doing and, and give it your own name if you want. But the point is, use it. But here's the thing. You do need help to discover your gifts. And here's where the rest of us come in. We've got to encourage you when we see your service bl blessing others, blessing us. We need to do this for one another as God's people. And as we seek to raise up the next generations, we especially need to do it for younger people. When, when they say something or when they do something and, and we're encouraged by it or we're helped by it, we're blessed by it, we need to tell them. Because that's how they'll get, start to get to know that maybe they have a gift there. And so fourth, finally, we also do know that spiritual gifts have to be cultivated. Just because a gift is spiritual doesn't mean that it's magic. That we're just sitting on the couch watching TV and suddenly, presto, we've got this amazing gift of praying for people. God could do that, and certainly at times God does do that, but more often than that, God gives us a gift in seed, seedling form and we get to cultivate it, to develop it as we use it. That's why in 1 Peter 4, that verse we looked at, Peter compares having spiritual gifts to being faithful stewards. And, and I wonder if Peter's thinking back to his time with Jesus and those parables that Jesus had told about stewards. Remember? The parables of the talents. 
the master gives one servant ten talents, and with it, that servant gains ten more. The master gives another servant five talents, and that servant gains five more. The one who the master gives one talent does nothing with it, but buries it in, in the ground, and he's condemned as a worthless servant. Peter encourages us to, like those servants who were good stewards of the talents they'd been given, Peter encourages us to steward our gifts, to, to put them to good use, to, to make the most of what God has entrusted us with. And as we use them and, and learn how to use them better, they will develop. Sure, God may give you the gift of wisdom, but I'll tell you, you'll be a lot wiser if you read some good books and you listen to other wise people and you ask good questions and learn from them. And sure, God may give you the gift of art, but you'll be a better artist if you take some art classes. And maybe even God might give you a gift of prophecy. But you'll hear God's heart much more clearly if you immerse yourself in the biblical prophets and if you learn the mind of God from the scriptures. We've got to cultivate our gifts. Okay, so watch out. Spiritual gifts can wreck our church. But the good news is, they don't have to wreck our church. They have great potential for the strengthening and the growth of the community of God's people too. All right, so a couple closing things. First, if you'd like prayer this morning about spiritual gifts or, or anything else, there'll be some people in the lounge, Terrence, maybe a few others. He's got his little blue ribbon on. Um, and they'll be available to pray with you in the lounge after the service. And second, if you come to discussion group in the lounge at 11.15 this morning, we're going to focus specifically on practically, and practically on how to discover and use your spiritual gifts.